invite you to look up in your Bibles or on your phones, uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter, well, we'll be in chapter 3. And uh, as you start looking at it, you're going to wonder, how in the world is David going to get a sermon out of Nehemiah 3? If you'll turn up the mic just a tad. Um, that's one of those chapters, if you're reading through the Bible, that you might uh, try to skim over. And I, I can understand that. It's full of a lot of names. And uh, you may wonder, what's the purpose? Well, we're going to be in this chapter a little bit, and I want to pose it as this under this heading, a successful building program, a successful building program. Some of you have experienced this. Some of you have had your house built or involved in building a house or a remodel, and you know that that can be a very stressful time. Um, in I remember as a child in Stanton, Texas, that the church decided they wanted to build a new educational building. There was an old white building that I think was actually hauled off to one of our members' properties, and they built a metal building as an educational building. And I don't remember specific details except that several of the men of the congregation were involved in the actual construction of it. I'll have to ask my dad how it went, but uh, that's one of, my, one of my memories. Of course, as we talk about Nehemiah and his leadership and rebuilding the wall, the application that we always need to take away is what can we learn from their experiences that will help us build not a church building, but help us build up the church? And there are so many applications uh, that, that we find as we study this. So what does it take to have a successful building program? And by the way, this was a successful building program. They built the wall in 52 days. And you think about a, a, built, a wall that was somewhere around two and a half miles in, in length. That, and, uh, and you'll see a sampling of how many were involved in the work, that it was a tremendous accomplishment indeed. So how do you have a successful building program? Number one, it requires wise leadership. It requires wise leadership. Let's go back to chapter 2 for a moment. I want to review a few things that Tucker pointed out in Nehemiah chapter 2, particularly how Nehemiah left Persia, left his position as cupbearer to go because he had it on his heart uh, that he wanted to be a part of the solution to the problem that had been identified with the broken down walls around Jerusalem. Notice with me verse 11, verse 11 beginning in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool and there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall and then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. And what impresses me about Nehemiah 
is that he's inspecting the situation as it was. This is after Nebuchadnezzar had, had leveled uh, Jerusalem and the walls. Now the re- two waves of return have taken place, but yet the walls are still in disrepair. And so he goes out and assesses the situation himself. Not telling anyone, he wants to see the condition and then what needs, what needs to be done. So having done that, he challenges the people uh, to rebuild the wall. Notice with me verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Here's a challenge. Nehemiah has traveled hundreds of miles. He surveyed the situation for himself. And what I love to see here, he uses those plural pronouns. You see the distress we are in. Come let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. He's going to be involved in the work itself. And he's using those pronouns to express that. Verse 18, And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. I want to stop right there for a moment and observe some things with you about Nehemiah's leadership. A successful building program requires wise leadership. And here we see that in Nehemiah himself. What was it about his leadership? Number one, he was well informed. Again, he studied the situation. He wanted to know firsthand. He had received a report while in Persia. Now he's traveled to Jerusalem and he looks for himself. So he informed himself of just how bad the situation was. Number two, he was probably already well respected. Anybody who knew Nehemiah Uh, and knew from whence he had come and the position that he had held as a king's cupbearer, perhaps not a real prominent position, but a very well-respected and probably a very luxurious position for him to be in. But yet, because of his love for God, his love for God's people, he had left all that to come back to be a leader in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And I'm sure that those who knew that about him respected him for making those sacrifices. Number three, he spoke with authority. He spoke with authority. After all, he was, chapter 5, verse 14, the governor with the king's authority behind him. And so he took command of the situation, again, uh, including himself in wanting to to, uh, correct the situation before them. Number four, he clearly expressed his intentions. No one was left to wonder what he's trying to say, what he's trying to get the people to do. He made it clear, let's rebuild this wall. And not only did he tell them what he wanted to do, but he gave reasons for the people to accept his point of view. He tells how he had the king's permission, the king's blessing. He tells how God had blessed him in his travels and and how he no doubt had prayed to God about asking the king for permission to do these things. Jerusalem, he points out, was unprotected, and this made the Jews a reproach in the sight of others. 
So he gives all these reasons for the people to accept his challenge to rebuild the wall. He even appealed to their emotions. He even appealed to their emotions. God's people were in a bad situation. Jerusalem was desolate. They were, were a reproach in the eyes of others. Nehemiah was passionate about this project. And isn't, doesn't that make sense that the effectiveness of a leader is going to be based on not only his abilities to lead, but his passion about the project. And Nehemiah has demonstrated by the sacrifices that he's made to, to show the people that he means what he says and that he's passionate about accomplishing this mission. So with all that, here's the response of the people. So they said, let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. So he's an effective leader. He rallies the troops, if you will. They're ready. They're, they're ready to go to work. That brings us to chapter 3. And again, this may seem odd. I'm not going to read much at all out of chapter 3 because I would have had to spend hours trying to learn how to pronounce a lot of these names. And there's just a list of names, 41 names to be exact, and about 41 sections of the wall around Jerusalem. I'm afraid I'd lose you after a couple of verses. Um, but yet, as we look at this, here's some things I found interesting about this chapter. Nehemiah, in chapter 3, takes the reader on a journey around the city. He begins with the sheep gate, verse 1, and he's going to conclude by coming back to this very gate, the sheep gate, verse 32. In fact, here's an outline of Nehemiah chapter 3, Coy Roper includes in his commentary. There's, and it's addressing, it's, it's noting the work that's done on certain sections of the wall. Beginning with the northern gate, the western wall, the southwestern wall, southeastern wall, and then the eastern wall. And if you look at a map, you can see the, up at the top where there's that start. If you go counterclockwise, this is the, the way the, the narrative goes in chapter 3. He talks about each of those sections in that progression. And he mentions the names of people that are involved, sometimes their occupation. And, uh, but that's the way this chapter is organ organized. In order for this to be accomplished, you see more of Nehemiah's leadership. How every part of the job had someone assigned to it. And each section of the wall is represented in, in the text. In other words, there was a lot of organization involved in rebuilding this wall. A successful building program is going to require organization. Here's a phrase or a couple of phrases that you'll find over and over in this chapter. Next to him or next to them or after him or after them. Next to him or them occurs 16 times. This is the New King James Version. After him or after them also occurs 16 times. So 32 times those phrases are found. And it's just listing the workers and next to them were these people or these individuals, this family. And so it, that's the way it's organized. Interestingly also you find in the text some references where People were told to work on a particular section of the wall 
that was opposite or beside or near where they lived. And if you're going to work on a section of the wall near where you live, how do you want it to look? You want it to look good, don't you? So there seems to be that rationale in assigning particular uh, jobs and the locations of those jobs. So Nehemiah, a wise leader indeed, and he's heading up this project. He's organized. Um, he rally, he's a motivational leader, and he gets them to work. There are other leaders listed in this chapter as well. And in fact, the word leader is found eight times in Nehemiah 3. Here's an example. Then Eliashib, this is verse 1, Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priests and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. The reason why I point that out, here's the high priest. And the high priest is, is leaving the temple to go to work on the wall. And no doubt by his example, he's also encouraging uh, all, the, all the Jews in that area to work alongside him. As you read through the text, you'll also see leaders of districts or half-districts. These were apparently were administrative districts, and these officials were under the governor of the province. But even these lead, those in leadership positions, they go to the work. And the idea again is, our leaders are working, so we need to get behind them as well. It reminds us that leaders lead from the front. Leaders lead from the front. Nehemiah was leading from the front. Let us rise up and build. And here are some other leaders, uh, administrative district leaders, that were also engaged in the work, compelling the people that they're leading to join in as well. Sadly, however, some did not get involved in the work. Notice verse 5 of Nehemiah 3. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. There were some nobles, literally meaning exalted ones, or leading men or town leaders, it's translated, that did not engage in the work. These aristocrats apparently declined to get their hands dirty by helping in the manual labor of, reconst of reconstruction. So though there were leaders who were actively involved in the work, who got their hands dirty, there were a few who did not. Here's the application for today. Every good work, every good work requires leadership. Every good work requires leadership. For example, everybody's business is nobody's business. We can make plans and have a great plan of action, like Nehemiah could have done. But unless there's someone leading it, it's not likely to get done. Everybody could be waiting on someone else to, to get started. Uh, Nehemiah could have proposed a plan and said, now y'all, y'all, I don't know if he would use the word y'all, but you get to work. Um, but every good work needs Leadership. Somebody must take the lead. And I love this statement by Coy Roper. The best test of leadership is not what the leader does, but what he and others 
try to do together. I appreciated that statement because leaders lead from the front. Leaders are going to be engaged in the work and they're going to say, be able to say and motivate people to say, come and work with me as we build what God wants us to build. What does God want us to build? He wants us to build up the church. He wants us to be busy sharing the good news of Jesus. He wants us to be busy encouraging, exhorting one another. And so leaders must step up to that call and have the attitude, I'm going to participate in this and I want everyone else to join with me as well. So what what does it take to have a successful building program? Number one, wise leadership. Number two, widespread participation. Widespread participation. Again, I'm going to have to give you an overview and I'm going to read through this chapter with you, but I'm going to highlight some things. How widespread was the participation of the people in rebuilding the wall? Here are some groups that were involved. There were temple workers and laymen. We read about priests, the high priest, Elisha, being involved in the work. You read about other priests being involved. You also read about temple ministers being involved. But then a whole lot of other people mentioned by name that apparently were not involved in the temple service but had other jobs, other responsibilities, but they also were engaged in the work. There were also residents of Jerusalem and some who lived outside Jerusalem. Here are a few other places that are named. Jericho, Tekoa, Gibeon and Mizpah, Zanoah, Bethzur, Kila. All these are cities outside the borders of Jerusalem. But there were people from these outlying cities and towns that came in to assist in the work. Why do you think they did that? Well, Jerusalem was the capital. But even more than that, it was the place where the temple of God is found. And so the temple is being rebuilt. And, and now the city is still defenseless without a wall. And so they are engaged in, in building that wall of protection around the home of the temple of God. So people, residents who lived outside Jerusalem also joined in the work to rebuild this wall. There were nobles and commoners. Again, we mentioned the high priests, officials over the administrative districts of Judah. But again, many other names listed of that doesn't that Nehemiah doesn't tell us who they were, what they did uh, for a living, what was their occupation, just that they were involved in the work. So nobles, those in leadership positions, and those who were not, all of them were involved in the work. There were people from family groups, relatives worked together, a group of brothers worked together, chapter 3, verse 18. Here's one of my favorite references. This is in verse 12. And next to him was Shalom, the son of Halohesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. So he's one of those leaders that was involved in the work. He and his daughters made repairs. So here's a dad who's also a leader in the community who got his family involved, namely his daughters involved in the work. It reminded me of back in 2000. Five, uh, when we were engaged in hurricane relief after Hurricane Katrina, 
I remember one evening meeting a man, uh, don't remember his name, but I remember the conversation. I believe he was from Elkhart, Indiana. And a group from there had come down, all the way down from Indiana here to work in hurricane relief. And as I'm visiting with him, getting to know him, he mentions with tears in his eyes that he had brought his daughter with him who had just graduated from school. And this was their opportunity to travel together, to work together before she went off to college. And I thought, what a wonderful thing to be engaged in, in serving for the cause of Christ and ministering to people in the name of Christ, but doing as, as, as a family. And so that daughter is always going to have that memory of, you know, before I went to college, Dad wanted to spend some time with me, and we, took, we drove all the way down to Mobile, Alabama, and went and served in communities that were impacted by the storm. We want all of our children and grandchildren to have those kind of memories. That we serve God together as a family. And to have that in our, in our background as a part of, of who we are, it helps us continue to remember who we are and whose we are and what we're to be about. So here was a dad that, that got his, his children, his daughters involved in the work, which also tells us there were men and women involved in rebuilding the wall. Not only that, there were people of varied occupations. Here are three uh, non-religious occupations that are mentioned. There are goldsmiths. There are perfumers, which I noticed in some translations, there are perfume makers. Now, generally speaking, what kind of skills, rebuilding wall skills, would a perfume maker have? Well, may have been a person that knew a lot about a lot of different things. But the point is, no matter what their occupations, they went to work in rebuilding the wall. There were also merchants who were involved as well. So here's a summary. When Nehemiah led the Jews in rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem... He involved volunteers from every walk of life. Priests, Levites, temple servants, laymen, people from Jerusalem, brothers, fathers, daughters, craftsmen, merchants. All of these individuals united to accomplish one great purpose. And I hope the application is just obvious. When it comes to continuing to build and God's building project and building up the church, there is work for everyone to do. There's work for everyone to do. Let me make a New Testament application with you. The church, as you know, is called the body of Christ in several texts. And I want to read one of those texts from a, a, a paraphrase, a New English translation uh, just for to make it very simple and understandable. Notice with me 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The church is likened to a body. For just as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. 
For in fact, the body is not a single member, but many. If the foot says, since I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. If the ear says, since I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. If the whole body were an eye, what part, where would be the hearing? What part would do the hearing? If the whole were an ear, what part would exercise the sense of smell? But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members in the body just as he decided. If they were all the same member, where would the body be? So now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. Nor in turn can the head say to the foot, I do not need you. On the contrary, those members that seem to be weaker are essential. And those members we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our unpresentable members are clothed with dignity. That our presentable members, but our presentable members do not need this. Instead, God has blended together the body giving greater honor to the lesser member, so that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have mutual concern for one another. If one member suffers, everyone suffers with it. If a member is honored, all rejoice with it. Now you, he's speaking to Christians, are Christ's body, and each of you is a member of it. Again, the church is the body of Christ, composed of many members that that complete different functions but we're all united in the body and we work together uh, to accomplish the will of God what does it take to have a successful building program wise leadership widespread participation and thirdly willing workers willing workers the wall was rebuilt because people voluntarily gave their time and talent and effort to the project. As we've noted, some were not willing, but many were. And they completed it because they were people of vision, courage, dedication, and fearlessness. Because, by the way, there's going to be opposition as they're building. And we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. Let me make a parallel with you. Hebrews 11, verse 30 speaks about the destruction of a wall. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. You remember, um, the people were told to march once around the city for six days, seven times the seventh day, blew the ram's horns, all those things, and God caused the walls to fall. But God worked in accordance with their obedience to his instruction, their faithfulness. Let us be faithful. They were faithful in, in completing God's instructions, which had nothing to do with the actual tumbling of the wall. That was an act of God, but he did it in conjunction with the people's faithful obedience. So by faith, the walls fell by the power of God. Now look at Nehemiah's work and the people the Jews work in working with him. We can say by faith, the wall of Jerusalem was rebuilt in 52 days. By faith, because they had faith in God, God had blessed their efforts. Nehemiah uh, affirmed that to them. 
and Nehemiah motivated them to, to believe not only in God, but that they could do it themselves. And that they did. Here's the application to the building project in which we're involved today, building up the church. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, We are laborers together with God. That's a King James wording. And I love the King James wording for this reason. Because there's three points I can make. <laughs> we are laborers. It's work. It requires effort, investment of time and energy and effort on our part. We are laborers. There's work to be done. But not only that, we are laborers together. We're not alone in this. We have, let me give you an example. I love the fact that we have been able to do Meals on Wheels. Uh, just one day a week for now, but that, just the crew that's come, uh, to me has just been wonderful to witness. Uh, they won't let, let me in the kitchen. I don't understand why. Just because my nickname is Torch Junior. I, I mean Torch. There's a Torch Junior in here too. <laughs> but to see uh, those who have responded working in the kitchen. And I uh, get comments from those that we deliver to that how delicious those meals are. And it's been wonderful to see these folks come together whether it's cooking, washing dishes, mopping floors, whatever, delivering the meals. And then uh, we had a couple of drivers that weren't going to be able to deliver, and so it put out the word, can you help? And I received many responses of willingness. Some said, I can't today, but keep me in mind in the future. And I was just so impressed and thankful that so many were we're willing to, to participate in that work. And it reminded me, we're laborers. This is work, but we're laboring together. And that makes all the difference. But not as much difference as this third component. We're laborers together with God. Involved in His work, in His building program. And He's the one we may plant, we may water but it's God who gives the increase. And God blesses our efforts when, when we are engaged in His work with each other to accomplish His will. We know that God is going to bless it. We're laborers together with God. In summarizing this chapter, one, uh, one commentator counted 41 people mentioned by name 42 sections of the wall that are mentioned. A total of 10 gates that are included. Why would Nehemiah record these details? Again, if we're doing a Bible, if we're reading the Bible from cover to cover, we come to Nehemiah chapter 3, the temptation would be just to skip it. So why is it there? Let me suggest a couple of reasons. Number one, it was recorded for posterity. If someone asks in the future who was involved in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, they could pull out the scroll of Nehemiah and read that list of names. So it was recorded for posterity. But also, it should, reading this, and not knowing a lot about the people, about their lives, just, in, just that they were involved in this work, this successful work, 
should be inspirational to you and to me that we too can work together to accomplish God's building program. May we learn from these dedicated builders some lessons on building up the church. It's going to require wise leadership, widespread participation, and willing workers. Let's rise up and continue to build. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus tonight, if you're ready to obey the gospel, or if you need the prayers of the church, we extend his invitation to you. Won't you come right now as we stand and sing?